Hello and welcome to Money Life. This time we are discussing the Kanungo Committee report. Now, what is that? This is a committee head by, headed by Mr. B.P. Kanungo, who used to be a former deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of India, who was charged with heading a customer services committee. Now, it's 12 years since the last such committee was set up. And this committee was asked to look at issues that are faced by us, customers of banks, and RBI, or rather Reserve Bank of India regulated entities. It's 12 years, like I said, since the last such committee had done a comprehensive review of consumer issues. And you know how these last 12 years have been. They've been dramatic, life-changing events. We've had demonetization, which led to more people using cashless systems of payment. There's been the COVID pandemic, and technology has just exploded. In fact, the way we deal with things, the way we make payments has changed dramatically. There have been new rules which have been loaded onto us as consumers, but no commensurate responsibilities on banks. To my mind, the Kanungo Committee has done an excellent job. What it has done to start with is that it's saying that consumer issues and grievance redress should take a principle-based approach rather than the present attitude where anything that's not in a rigid matrix, complaint matrix, you can complain about this, but not about that. You can complain at this time, wait for four weeks. If you don't do it, it's thrown out. Instead of doing that, they've said, look at the principle of it. Are you treating your customers fairly? This is based on a consumer charter that was set up in 2014. I'm going to come to that later. It's a bit of a hoax. But basically, they're saying, don't take a rigid attitude. Now, if you ask me, the RBI's banking ombudsman themselves are notorious for treating customers unfairly. Why do we pay attention to the Kanungo Committee and what it said? Because frankly, if there's one thing that affects all of us as bank customers, it is what this report is suggesting and ensuring that this report's recommendations are converted into regulations and made applicable. It's a good report, says a lot of positive things that benefit us, but the lobby starts now. Bankers are powerful, regulated finance companies are powerful. They invariably ensure that excellent recommendations are mothballed and nothing happens. So pay attention. This affects you and we need to act on it. The bigger battle is further. The first is that you have good recommendations. Now, there are a few things going for us. For instance, the Reserve Bank of India Governor Shakti Kanta Das, after a long time, is a governor who is receptive and proactive on consumer issues. And he has also been pretty tough about handing out monetary pen penalties almost every day. We at Money Life are writing an article which says some cooperative bank or some public sector bank or private bank has been punished with a fat penalty. So this has to apply when they mistreat us, the customers as well. I'm gonna highlight a few key points. Remember, they affect you. You need to also write to the RBI because this report has been put out for discussion. You have time until 7th July. I'm going to give you the email address at the bottom. Take a look at what I'm saying. Pick up at least one part of this that you think affects you and write to the RBI because we, the people, are the largest stakeholders. We are the customers. If we don't insist that the system works for us, it's not going to happen automatically and by magic. So what is the first issue that affects all of us? The harassment over KYC. 
or know your customer documents and their frequent updation. You know that accounts are being frozen rampantly, checks are being dishonored, but nothing happens to banks. They get away. Now, really startling revelation in this report is a categorical assertion that apparently RBI regulations just do not allow the freezing of customer accounts and dishonoring of checks, but it's being done with impunity. In fact, banks don't even tell us, and this has happened to us at Money Life Foundation, they don't even tell us that your KYC is due for updation and they freeze your accounts. You get to know only when your check is dishonored. The committee has taken note of it and they say that this is not under the regulations. How is it being done? Naturally, we have spoken to a lot of bankers. We are always told that not us, it's under the Prevention of Money Laundering Act, which is under the Finance Ministry and the Home Ministry. Have they said freeze accounts? What right do they have to say it? We don't know. Bankers have also claimed that every time RBI does an annual inspection, it badges them to freeze accounts if KYC is not updated. I don't know whether they also ask them, have you written to the customer and show us proof? That is not discussed. Even the Kanungo report doesn't go into these issues. So we don't know where the buck stops. But we want the RBI and the finance ministry to clarify this urgently. Meanwhile, take note of it. The regulations say that our accounts cannot be frozen. On the positive side, the report is acknowledging all the problems that we face. So it says, yes, KYC is repeatedly sought, even sought repeatedly for different facilities with the same regulated entity. It says, let's have a central database for KYC within each organization, I mean, which is linked to a unique customer ID. Now I've written and done a video blog just a few weeks ago about whether this unique customer ID or identifier is in fact unique. I've discovered it's not, but be that as it may, our issue is recognized by this committee and it says, do not harass people, do not freeze accounts. Now there's a rule that says that different categories of customers have to have different risk profiles and the banks are giving you this risk profile. So some of us, maybe salaried people are low risk, some people who are into certain kinds of businesses or heavy trading, chances of loss are considered high risk, High-risk people have to update their KYC every two years, but the low-risk ones every 10 years. And none of us know what is our risk categorization. There are some things, if you read between the lines of the Kanungo report, you figure out. One is that the Kanungo report is telling, recommending, suggesting that risk categorization should be done in such a way that people with high salaries should not be called high-risk just because they earn a lot. So. If they earn high salaries, the amount of money flowing in and out of their accounts is consistent month after month, then they're obviously not high risk, they're just earning a lot of money. I mean, if you read between the lines, it means that people like this were called high risk for no reason when they're probably the safest. It also advises that students should be low risk, which means the committee probably knows that all students were not considered low risk. Now we can go on about it with pensioners and others, but clearly, what we have been saying all the time at Money Life, Money Life Foundation, those of you who have watched us regularly know that risk categorization is non-transparent and probably completely capricious and arbitrary. Second issue, which is really important, which is what I told you earlier, there is a consumer charter, defines five specific consumer rights. There is an internal ombudsman if you have a complaint, but nothing seems to work. So. The committee has said 
that there should be disincentives. Now, this consumer charter happened in December 2014. It was grandly announced, spelled out our rights. And if these rights were maintained, that was in fact the principle-based approach. So if they went by our rights, rather than nitpicking on whether we had followed certain rules or not, we would have been better off. But this charter was rendered completely meaningless because there was absolutely no penalty or no consequences attached to ignoring these rights. So it was a motherhood statement which had no meaning and obviously banks completely ignored it. Now, the committee has said, let's have a suitable structure of incentives and disincentives. It's their way of saying or putting it in our kind of language, it would mean let's have penalties and punishment if you don't treat customers right. Call it incentives and disincentives, fair enough. They've also said there should be a regulatory cost for entities where customer service is deficient. Again, it means punish them. And we agree. Now, despite a high-profile governor like Raghuram Rajan, banks completely ignored this and he wasn't bothered about imposing these penalties. So the whole charter was a dud. Another dud was this internal ombudsman with who was, which was announced at that time. So what is the internal ombudsman? Each bank announced a person as an internal ombudsman to whom complaints were escalated. So grievances that were not redressed were escalated to the internal ombudsman. Who the internal ombudsman was, was a mystery. We were not allowed to communicate directly with the internal ombudsman. We didn't know what was put before the internal ombudsman and what was the decision, except once or twice when the bank would deign to tell you that internal ombudsman also agreed with them. This committee observes, again, mildly, that the internal ombudsman mechanism is not functioning effectively and complaints are rising because there is no incentive at all to improve customer service at the enterprise level, which means you do the same thing a hundred times to a hundred different customers. And again, there is no penalty. At the most, you're asked to rectify it each time. That means every individual who complains about the same problem gets his or her complaint resolved. There is no incentive, no pressure, or no penalty to ensure that you take systemic action and stop this. Stunning disclosure in the report, which most people, including the media, seem to have missed, is the statement. It says, an overwhelming percentage of rejected, fully or partly rejected complaints are not even being referred to, to the internal ombudsman by banks and regulated entities before conveying the decision to the customer which means they're supposed to escalate your complaint. They not only do not resolve it and reject it, they do not bother to escalate it. And the data is quite shocking. For the period from November 21 to 31st, March 23, less than 25% of the complaints were actually vetted by the internal ombudsman. And in cases that actually went to the appellate authority through the ombudsman, the number was as low as 11.11%. .11%. How shocking is that? Look at the utter callousness. 75% plus of complaints were rejected without even taking it to the internal ombudsman mechanism. What does this tell you? In a nutshell, it says the mechanism is a miserable failure. The data also reflects badly on RBS customer services department. It's their job. Remember, the IO is 
a secret from us. We don't even know anything. So RBI inspectors and the customer services department ought to have been checking and taking action when banks ignored it or didn't escalate it. It's quietly there in this report as a piece of data. Now, data presented by the committee, there's a long table, which I'm going to show you here. It also shows the number of complaints and the percentage of them. Public sector banks, partly because of their big size, have the largest number of complaints. All the private banks are after that. And then the foreign banks, Access Bank is leading by far in terms of the number of complaints against it among private banks. And that's been our experience also in Money Life. You may recall some time ago, I said we'd closed eight accounts with the bank because they didn't care about redressal. So here's this table, which we are showing you. Take a look. You can even find it in the committee report, which is available on the net. Now, what is what should be our view on this internal ombudsman mechanism? In my interaction with the committee, I had pointed out that absence of punishment leads to bad service. And there is no punitive action or disinvestment for bad service and sloppy grievance redress. The committee has three suggestions to deal with this. It correctly says incentives, disincentives, which is reward them, give them awards, or punish them when they treat customers badly. Empower the banking ombudsman and the RBS customer services department to take a class action approach. Like I said, 100 complaints of the same kind, there should be class action, there should be a systemic cleanup, and there should be consequences. RBI Ombudsman and the Customer Services Department is supposed to do it. Given their record, I'm not sure how it will work. Third, it thinks that it's all about the internal Ombudsman and the compensation. There's a lot of discussion on this. To my mind, it's got nothing to do with compensation. So while the committee says, pay them independently, IBA should set up a fund, RBI should set up a fund and pay them. I think when something has failed, just scrap it. So the IO has failed miserably and to worry about compensation and these small changes is like sticking band-aid when you really need amputation. So the committee's own data is showing that it has failed. A framework of penalties and class action is fine. It still needs to be done, but remove the internal ombudsman altogether, not required, waste of time, and it's not working. Just scrap it. The RBI governor, Shaktikanta Das has had the courage to scrap the Banking Codes and Standards Board of India. This large organization headed by a former deputy governor, retired deputy governor. They could scrap it. It was redundant. It was serving no purpose. IO and this, these are utopian organizations delivering zero results. I think they should go. We should insist on it. Now, committee has also said that let's have a complaint management system, which can do complaints online, track them, give tracking numbers, you know, also track whether they've been resolved. And it's then easy for the banking ombudsman or the RBI to track if there are similar kinds of complaints coming up repeatedly. This CMS system has already been set up in 2019. If necessary, it can be improved. But if you have that system and you have the banking ombudsman and RBI's customer services department tracking it. You don't need the internal ombudsman. And the RBI seems to have forgotten. They seem to be doing these online systems all the time. In fact, there was another complaint handling system set up again by the great Raghuram Rajan a few days before he demitted office. It's called Sachet. Sachet.rbi.org.in. 
It is supposed to work across regulators, grandly looked at, you know, illegal fund collection or whatever. It's completely defunct, still remains. You can click on this link that I'm showing you and you wonder what it does. It's another dud. Okay, so these dud things need to go. We should ask for it. If it's not working, chuck it out. The third issue that the committee has looked at is again something that Money Life Foundation has raised. I've talked about this in the past and you can see our recommendations. It is about having standard operating procedures. It turns out there is already such a system and these are called model operating procedures and they are written up by the Indian Banks Association. So the committee has taken on board this issue. They have said IBA, the Indian Banks Association may update its model operating procedures in line with regulations for what issues? Now, we've been saying every time there is nomination and transmission of assets, when there is a deceased account holder, people are being harassed. They're asked to open FTs, they not transferred their money. It says you cannot do that. There are procedures and it says maybe they have to be updated. These procedures have to be posted online because I've been pointing out that not only each entity, but even each branch is cooking up its own rules and imposing conditions. There should be an automated process, they say, which is wonderful, may. I think this should be converted into shall or must. And the verification can be done online. If there is a proper valid nomination, that money has to be transmitted without further action and hassles and pain. Hopefully, this suggestion is going to be accepted if we push for it. Now, yet another issue that we had raised was lost documents. We at Money Life are shocked to realize that when we take a loan, we are made to subject our, we are made to submit our additional documents with a bank. They're supposed to keep it in safe custody. And this is the actual proof that you own that property. So you may have taken a home loan, you may have taken a loan for your business, your original property documents are given to the bank or finance company in good faith. Do you know that sometimes banks are losing those documents or losing part of the documents? We also discovered that even if one or two documents in the chain of ownership are lost, then that property is permanently affected and impaired. You can get a true copy, you can file a police complaint, but people are reluctant to take that cop such a property, buy it again from you. Not only that, other banks are reluctant to give loans against this kind of property where there is a true copy or a you know, missing document which has been replaced. Now, committee says correctly, and this is something we've taken up very strongly, that Regulated entities and banks should not only be obligated to assist in obtaining certified registered copies of documents at their cost, but they should also compensate the customer adequately for keeping in view the time taken to arrange alternate copies of the documents. I've been following up one case, it's more than six months, the police procedure, the Tesseldar, it takes forever and it is unbelievable harassment. That case is not settled as yet. So I'm glad this is taken on board. If you have a loan, take this seriously. Please write to the RBI about it because it could be your documents next. Finally, another issue. If you've been listening to us regularly, what happens when you go to access your bank and you fall down, you break a leg, something happens, 
we've taken up a case of a senior citizen who fell down a ladder because the ladder crashed and he had to be hospitalized. The bank said nothing to do with us. This is ridiculous. Doesn't work like this anywhere in the world. If you suffer an injury in the premises of your bank or finance company, they are responsible and they're supposed to take insurance. This is called liability insurance. We've done a whole report on it. I've been talking about it long enough. Delighted that the Kanungo committee has taken this on board and they have said regulated entities must have adequate insurance cover to ensure that customers are adequately compensated and that bank staffs at, at the front end must be aware of this. So they cannot say we'll call an ambulance if you're going to pay for it, which is what they did with the case that we took up. We at Money Life Foundation had gone a step further. In fact, we found out that banks do have liability insurance. It's mandatory for them. They don't have the connect. The staff is not aware. So RBI has to mandate this, provide training, provide information on how this is going to work. Hopefully, this is going to be made applicable because there's no additional cost on anybody. The insurance is already there. All that is required is the missing link and the training of front-end staff. You and I put pressure, it's going to happen, not otherwise. Other notable recommendations are on issues that we have raised, that there should be a seamless online process for closing accounts as well. So we pointed out account opening is simple. It happens in minutes. You upload your documents and they open a bank account for you, open a DMAT account for you. When it comes to closing, you're supposed to go to the branch, sometimes the home branch, stand in a queue, saying this cannot happen. Technology should work both ways. Similarly, traceability of action. If all of the onboarding can happen online, why is it that the reverse doesn't happen, which is that when you tell me that you have written to me and pointed out my KYC needs to be updated, why is there no record? So it has to be a two-way street. The committee has accepted this and they've said, first of all, not only should it be two-way, but physical visits should be avoided. RBI needs to issue directives to make sure this happens. Same goes for mis-selling of third-party products, harassment of senior citizens for life certificates, doorstep services. All this is talked about and usually doesn't work. Without specific rules that make it mandatory for banks to adopt better behavior, it is safe to predict that the attitude to customers will not improve. There have to be rules coming from the RBI to make it happen. So to close, the committee recommendations are very, the real battle starts now because banks are powerful. They meet the RBI much more often. We customers don't. They will lobby to prevent the implementation because it puts pressure on them and there are penalties for them if they don't treat us well. I have narrated all the key issues. It's now time for you as a customer to do your bit by writing to RBI, demanding implementation of the recommendations in letter and spirit. All you need to do is email your comments to this address, cscommittee at the rate of rbi.org.in. You have a lot of time until 7 July 2023. Ideally, since we are pushing this so much, mail a copy to us at foundation.marylife.in so that we too know that you have written and we can take it up because we then know how many of us as stakeholders have pushed the RBI to implement the Kanungo Committee reports. If you agree with this, please spread the word, spread these email IDs so that I have given you complete documentation. In fact, you everything that I've said is available in writing. 
There's a list of you know, our articles. Take what you think works, send it to the RBI, look at the Money Life site, subscribe and share because it's important to all of us. Thank you.